the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As, as this liturgical year, especially the, the Christmas season, has uh, unfolded, uh, I've reminded um, you from time to time about how we, we follow our Lord's life both in a microcosm and, and in a macrocosm. We follow his, his death and his resurrection every Friday and Sunday. And we, we observe the events of his entire um, earthly ministry over the course of a year. And there are a few times a year where we tiptoe and we go day by day uh, around the Easter and, and around Christmas. You might remember Pope John Paul II wrote a, a beautiful little letter about the rosary. And he mentioned the history of it, including uh, a, a, a wide range of possibilities for what was being meditated upon in, in any given decade. Remember that the rosary started as a way of praying with monks and nuns, praying their, who were praying their psalms. Through the first millennium, uh, the, the monks and nuns praying their psalms, there are 150 psalms, um, required the monks and nuns being literate so they could read the psalms. And the vast majority of the Christian people were not literate. And to go hand in hand with the, the chanting of the psalms in the monastery, faithful Christians would pray what was known as a paternoster, 50 beads on a string, and they would pray 50 Hail Marys, one for each bead, and they would strive to pray that three times, and that then was 150 Our Fathers, corresponding to the 150 psalms that monks and nuns would pray throughout the course of a week. So in the course of a week, a traditional monastery prays through all 150 psalms and continues week after week. By the time of St. Dominic, that tradition was well established and the rosary was set to become something even more dynamic where we have 10 beads that attempt to draw us deeper into a mystery of the life of Christ. But settling on 15 decades was not something that happened immediately. When I pray the rosary on my own, I'll frequently choose to pray some mystery from the Gospels, uh, regardless of, uh, of um, it being one of the established 15 or now 20 mysteries of the rosary. As we've gone through this Christmas season, I've actually um, stumbled upon subdivisions of the of the gospel that fit into five sets of meditations. Um, so who knows what's going to happen with it. Um, there's the Annunciations, Annunciation to Zechariah, Annunciation to Mary, the Visitation, the Annunciation to Joseph, and the birth of John the Baptist. That's my first set of five. And then my next five meditations are on the Nativity. So our Lord's birth, the Adoration of the Shepherds, the circumcision, which is day eight, the presentation coming up on February 2nd, day 40, and the return of the newborn to Nazareth. And then my third cycle is what I call the first epiphany, the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We know they did that every year. 
the Star of Bethlehem, Adoration of the Magi, their refuge in Egypt, and the return to Nazareth of the baby Jesus. The second epiphany, the finding of the child in the temple, remember, we know they went to Jerusalem every year, the return to Nazareth of the young Jesus, his baptism in the Jordan. The next day, John the Baptist pointing out, behold, the Lamb of God, and his first disciples, Andrew and, um, Andrew and John. And now we find ourselves, or I find myself, or you find me, uh, in what I call the third epiphany, the next five meditations. His 40 days in the desert, because we know that right after his, his baptism in the Jordan, the next day he did pass by the vicinity of John the Baptist, close enough that John the Baptist could point him out. And then the Spirit pushed him into the desert. So 40 days in the desert. And then the second meditation of my third epiphany cycle is the temptation at the end of those 40 days that's worthy of its own meditation. And then third, the arrest of St. John the Baptist, which is mentioned in today's gospel. Fourth, the wedding feast. And fifth, Jesus goes down to Capernaum. As the year goes on, I may very well add more cycles to this uh, way of praying the rosary, which is really a map of the New Testament, or at least of the Gospels. Now, a few months ago, Pope Francis declared that this third Sunday in ordinary time should be Word of God Sunday. And some people commented that, well, every Sunday sort of is Word of God Sunday. And that's not helpful because, well, every Sunday is Corpus Christi as well. But we set aside one Sunday to celebrate the very fact. Actually, we set aside a Thursday, but um, then it gets moved to a Sunday for Corpus Christi. It actually is very uh, observant to, to make this Sunday a time to focus on Christ is the word of God. This Sunday, regardless of the year, and you can see it in your bulletin, uh, whether it be the old form or the new form and any of the three years, this is the Sunday that we pick up our Lord's ministry after the arrest of John the Baptist. With the arrest of John the Baptist, we know, the Gospels tell us, that our Lord withdrew to Galilee. Now, it's only a few verses before, in Matthew 3, that we read about the southward trip. Matthew 3, verse 14, or rather, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan unto John to be baptized by him. That's Matthew 3, 13. Matthew 4, 1 is Jesus going into the desert, 40 days in the desert. And then at the very end of that, our Lord calls the first disciples. But before he calls his first disciples... Andrew and John were down in the Jordan where John the Baptist was, remember? Matthew 4, 12, 
is Jesus heard that John was delivered up or that John was arrested. He retired into Galilee. Leaving the city Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum on the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali we heard praised in the first reading today. Our Lord retreating from the south because where John the Baptist was was towards Jericho, which is east of Jerusalem. Remember in the preaching of John the Baptist, it would happen from time to time that Pharisees would come and other religious from Jerusalem would come and he'd denounce them. You brood of vipers, show the fruits of your repentance. It was that kind of preaching that got John the Baptist in trouble. Herod Antipas was in a completely illegitimate marriage. He, was, he divorced his wife so that he could marry his half-brother's wife. His half-brother seemed to have been still alive at the time. His half-brother was married to Herod's niece. So uh, it's really illegitimate on a number of fronts. The only way it could have been worse is if he had been trying to marry his nephew. It was horrible. And John the Baptist denounced it publicly. And he was arrested and later executed. The arrest and the execution happened in a fortress down south near the Dead Sea. So after the arrest, our Lord withdrew and went back north to Galilee. The wedding feast was in Cana. Cana was near Nazareth. And we know from John's gospel, where the wedding feast of Cana is in the second chapter, that after that, he was in Capernaum. And so finding ourselves now after the third epiphany, the wedding feast of Cana, John having been arrested already, our Lord gets to work. And what is his work? Not writing, not handing out literature. Obviously, people are illiterate, so that's sort of a specious observation. It's not helpful. But what is he doing? He's forming people. He's preaching to them a very simple message of repentance. He's winning them over by curing them of their illnesses and delivering them from demons. And he's gradually selecting people to follow him exclusively. Now, mind you, this is long before any 12 are mentioned in a particular category called apostles. He's collecting to himself disciples. His disciples include those who will leave behind their profession to follow him and do nothing but follow him. To know the word of God is to know Christ. Knowing the word of God isn't simply a matter of knowing a book, but it's similar. It's knowing our Lord's words, having them deeply embedded in our hearts so that we we fill in the blanks. We know when he says this and he says this, he also means more. It's knowing him as a person. Knowing how he treated people. 
how he cured them, the manner in which he did, always eliciting a response of faith and always doing so in a way that benefited that person's salvation, never merely to get someone's attention, never merely to give someone a reprieve from some moment's physical suffering. And there were people who were not cured. We'll see that when he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth from time to time. Knowing the word of God isn't just the domain of, uh, of monks and nuns who are literate, of uh, priests and bishops and professors. Knowing the word of God is the domain of every disciple. Some disciples keep their jobs. Some disciples abandon everything. Think of St. Catherine of Siena, Third Order Dominican. Think of those you know who really have dedicated their entire life to Christ. They don't publicize it to the world, but they have. At the time of King Henry VIII, there were so many men in various forms of clerical life and religious life that they accounted for one in every 50 males of the population of England. By no stretch of the imagination were they all priests or ordained. And granted, not all of them were living this life for the purest of motives. It could have been a comfortable way of avoiding work. But what, is, what has always been part of the Christian community, what has always been part of the church, are those people who are completely dedicated to the word of God without having any visible office, without officially representing the Lord or, or communicating his sacred power. But what do they have? They have the word of God in them. They know Christ. And in many respects, that, that describes you already, and many of you in potentia. When John the Baptist was arrested, our Lord didn't organize protests. He withdrew. He had a strategy. He was doing the will of God the Father. He knew that people needed to be formed. And that would take time. And that would take personal attention. He would have to draw disciples. And then he would have to draw apostles from them. And there was a group of three, sometimes four, that he would call from the dozen. Our responding to this means that we reciprocally set aside time to be just with him. Because being formed takes time. Being formed takes personal attention, sacrifice, and love. But nothing compared to the sacrifice and love that Christ offered for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.